0: History's fragile. Uh, I was fortunate to be around the sport. I saw the people that helped invent the sport, and these names would be easily forgotten, lost.
1: It's amazing the stories, and and they stay with you once you get them. You never forget them.
2: Being slaves, and we basically were probably told, don't go far, You, you can't run very far.
3: You're listening to the third episode of a four-part series of audio content that coincides with the One Million Miles for Justice virtual event. It runs from June 15th to July 15th, and you can register any time before July 15th. The cost for registration is $25, and the net profits go to the NAACP.
4: There is a link on fleetfeet.com slash blog with a link to the run sign-up page where you can register for the event. I'm Ashley Arnold. And I'm Kate Schwartz. When we look at history broadly, we're often not seeing the whole picture. We're seeing the picture that we're wanted to see from the perspective of the person or people in power. But there's always more to the story, as we all know
3: through our own life experiences. And so when we really examine history, when we start to unravel its threads, we see the layers that have been covered up, like the underside of a braided rope. And it's up to the storyteller to bring them to life. Today, we examine a section of that unbraided history from the perspective of distance running. But before we do, let's first take a step back to look at
4: U.S. history, particularly the modern civil rights movement of the 1950s and 60s, because it sets the stage for what's next. If you're listening to this episode when it comes out around the 4th of July, consider reflecting on our nation's history and how there is always another side to every story.
1: you start by telling us your name and what you do faith morris i am the chief marketing and external affairs officer at the national civil rights museum the museum is dedicated to telling the story of the civil rights movement we certainly chronicle all of what the movement was about and we maintain dr king's legacy and what he meant and what he got done through the movement but it also talks about the thousands of men and women who risked their lives, some lost their lives in trying to fight for freedom and justice in this country. Um, so it's a transformational experience. It's one that when, when, when our visitors come through, they, they, they say that they've been changed, that they, they, in some instances, learn things that they didn't know. In some instances, they have found someone that they know, a relative or themselves, or um, that were part of the movement and their stories are told. So, so that's what we're about. We, we are about um, being a catalyst for uh, positive social change. And, and we are a site for protest. And we're a site where people come to have difficult conversations and understand race and bias, understand you know, what it means to be in this country and how the civil rights movement has really impacted the world. So once you get out of your car, you actually begin the National Civil Rights Museum experience. And a big part of that experience is knowing that you're on the grounds of the Lorraine Motel. The Lorraine is where Dr. King was assassinated. His his last days in Memphis were at the Lorraine. Um, So you walk onto the museum campus and you see um, the outside of what? was the Lorraine Hotel, even the the cars in the parking lot right under the balcony are still there. Um, And then you see the reef and it's in front of 306. And that's where Dr. King was standing when he was assassinated. So many of our visitors come, one, to see the museum, but two, to absolutely be on the, um, on the, the, the space, be where Dr. King spent time here. Um, trying to help the sanitation workers, working through poverty. When you come to our door, then you see that you are stepping inside of a museum. And there is
3: so much about this rich history that people don't even
1: realize. People are very surprised how young Dr. King was when he you know, started. He was 39 when he was assassinated. And he had done an awful lot by 39. And and how much of the movement he really was involved in to see Congressman John Lewis, who was um, a young man who was in, you know, a college student um, with SNCC, a leader in SNCC, where these were, were students that were activists and working alongside the SCLC and sometimes in opposition to it because they were a little more radical. They felt that they needed to be. Um, more vocal, more active, uh, more deliberate. But John Lewis is in so many of our exhibits. You have Baird Rustin, who uh, was gay, openly gay, and in an interracial relationship. But he was a mastermind behind the March on Washington. Uh, and because of the times, you know, he really couldn't be out front. Everybody, you know, Says that Rosa Parks gave up, you know, wouldn't give up her seat. Well, she didn't. But there were, were people before her that didn't give up their seats, women that didn't give up their seats. But Rosa Parks was chosen to really make the statement um, because of her position, her standing with the NAACP. And you know, they felt that because of her positioning, that, um, that it would resonate. So there are all kinds of really great stories. So it's just just instance after instance after instance of of the lives and the stories of folks that just did what they needed to do, wanted to to have a better life, and a life for their families and their communities, and what they risked to get it done. It's amazing. It's amazing, the stories. And and they stay with you once you get it You never forget them. Our
3: second interview is with Tony Reid of the National Black Marathoners Association. Reed co-founded the organization to bring Black distance runners together and to honor those who have shaped the distance world as we know it today. Many of these runners have had a huge impact on our running culture today,
4: yet they are relatively unknown. Reed created the Black Distance Runners Hall of Fame to honor outstanding Black distance runners for their accomplishments and to preserve their role in history. These stories, too, are ones you will never forget.
2: Okay, my name is Tony Reed, and I am the co-founder and executive director of the National Black Marathoners Association. When we talk to African-Americans, or friends, a lot of people about African-Americans running distance, one of the things that I always used to hear is, well, Black people don't run distance. Black Americans don't run distance. We do sprints." i kind of envision african americans being slaves and we basically were probably told don't go far you you can't run very far and for some reason i guess this may have gotten embedded in people's minds that black blacks don't run far Mm. it's a limitation that other people are placing on us and sometimes we place it on ourselves when we say African Americans don't run distance, uh, so I want to kind of remove that and say that we're free to run anywhere and everywhere, and not be mentally held back by the distance. And sometimes I feel that we may be mentally trapping ourselves and limiting ourselves by not expanding more and moving outside of our comfort zones. I said so I when I first started running. Of course, the internet didn't exist, so the main way you could find out about how to go about running marathons was by reading books. So one of the books I read was A Complete Marathoner by Joe Henderson, who was also, I believe, an editor at Runner's World. In his book, uh, he started each chapter with a picture of a runner and a quote on the opposing page. And on one page, he had a picture of a white runner, and then he had a quote from Ted Corbett. At the beginning of another chapter, he had a picture of a black runner and a quote from Ted Corbett. So by the time I got to the second quote from Ted Corbett, I didn't know if Ted Corbett was white or if he was black. The second time where he appeared, the whole chapter was about the course measurement technique. And in that entire chapter, they never mentioned Ted Corbett's name. You go to the back of the book in small print is where they finally acknowledge Ted Corbett's contribution to the course measurement method.
3: Reed first read this book in the early 1980s, and he didn't know anything about Ted Corbett's accomplishments until 2013, even though Ted Corbett was one of the major contributors to the course measurement system that we use in running today. It was a result of learning about Ted Corbett and also about Marilyn Bevins, who placed second at the 1977 Boston Marathon, that he decided they needed to do something about it. And that's when he started the Black Distance Running Hall of Fame to shed light on the accomplishments of African-American distance runners. Reed himself had become motivated to run after learning about Dick Gregory, and he wanted to provide that motivation to other Black distance runners as well.
4: Reed stresses that many young black runners don't have role models or opportunities to help them advance in the sport. Much of Reed's vision for the National Black Marathoners Association and the Black Distance Running Hall of Fame centers around the promotion of role models to black runners who show interest and promise in distance running. They also offer scholarships to help these young runners pursue their dreams. He created a space where black runners could come together to support one another and find inspiration, motivation, and friendship. And that's something Reed didn't have as a young runner. He says he didn't know a single other Black runner for years when he first started running marathons. Along with Ted Corbett, Gary Corbett, his son, was inducted into the National Black Distance Running Hall of Fame in 2019.
3: In a press release announcing his induction, Reed wrote, Gary Corbett is the Carter G. Woodson of African American distance running history. Without Gary's knowledge and support, there may not be a National Black Distance Running Hall of Fame. He produced the African-American Long Distance and Middle Distance Running History timeline from 1880 to 1979. This compilation is the first of its kind and is the Hall of Fame's foundation. We can start by you um, telling me your name um, and a little bit about yourself and what you do.
0: Okay. Uh, I'm Gary Corbett. I uh, live in Jacksonville, Florida. I recently celebrated my 44th wedding anniversary. Uh, I've been uh, retired nine years uh, from a broadcasting research career. And in that time, I've been working on uh, preserving not only my father's legacy, but the uh, history of the sport thankful that I've had the opportunity to do this uh, and had the time to do it.
4: Why do this at all though? For Gary, it started with a desire to share stories about his father, go back into the archives of his childhood and make sure that he was remembered for his exceptional work.
0: Well, as a child, I I kept up with his training diaries. I used to read those religiously. So it was good to, to see those again after after so many years. Uh, but he was far from being the first African, great African-American long-distance runner. So I wanted to demonstrate that and document that. So that was one of the key motivations uh, to do it. But the African-American side of sport had, had not been really properly researched. And still there's still a lot more to be done. So that uh, also became a motivating factor. But just to, to, to demonstrate the, the great history going back to 1880, so I... I and, I stopped in 1979, so there's still a lot more to be done. I hope my work will inspire others. Uh, I'm looking at starting a foundation that would grow uh, running history scholars to uh, study the sport more, uh, an African-American side of the sport. Pam Cooper uh, wrote a book called American Marathon, and she did a great job in studying African-American distance runners. And I asked her how much did she uh, capture. She said she got only about 50%. Uh, When I did the timeline, I I maybe added another 15 to 20%. I still think there's another 25 to 30% out there to be researched. So I got to get more people involved to uh, study the sport. And uh, I've got enough just working on my father's legacy. So I have to be careful. I prioritize my time.
3: Ted Corbett could easily be considered the father of long distance running in the US as we know it today. His accomplishments in training, holistic physical therapy, and even administration and distance running are too vast to summarize briefly. But here are some of his most impactful contributions.
4: Corbett wrote and published a booklet to establish the nation's first course measurement and certification program.
3: His method created the standard for legitimate record-keeping and distance running for the
4: first time. Before he created the standard, there was no consistent method for measuring
0: a race course. Yeah, the the sport, it was a big problem in the sport. A a race could be advertised as being 10 miles, but it would either be nine and a half miles or ten and a half miles. This is just his rent. When he won the National Marathon Championship in uh, 1954, the the distance was actually 26.8 miles. So to, to, and he he would acknowledge that this is his greatest contribution to the sport. Uh, because how, how can you have a legitimate sport if you can't uh, verify records and have a standard system where records could be verifiable?
4: Corbett was the first Black American to represent the U.S. at the Olympic Marathon in 1952 and the first to win a national marathon championship in 1954.
3: He introduced the ultra marathon to the U.S. and typically ran about 20 miles per day at one time. And on four occasions, he completed 300-plus mile training weeks while working full-time. That's an average of 44.6 miles per day.
4: Corbett was one of the first African Americans to enter the field of physical therapy. He developed holistic forms of therapy that were well before his time. Wearing down his body with high mileage was often a way for him to experiment with new forms of therapy and recovery that hadn't been tested elsewhere. Corbett was also the founding president of the New York Roadrunners Club in 1958, which now has over 70,000 members, and puts on the New York City Marathon.
3: He was the first editor of their newsletter as well, and he was the man behind the idea to run a race through all of New York's five boroughs, though he thought it should be an ultra marathon, not a marathon.
4: Ted Corbett's ideas and actions have deeply impacted the running world as we know it, yet many runners have never heard of him.
3: Even Tony Reid, who is a self-proclaimed African-American history buff, said he didn't realize Ted Corbett was Black until 2013. There is so much history that we don't know. There are so many parts of history to unbraid and learn.
0: Yeah, there's a lot. (laughs) There's a lot. Uh, The sport... uh that we enjoy today, the inclusiveness of it, really started in the black community in Harlem in the mid-1930s with the forming of the New York Pioneer Club. This was an integrated team, home for Jewish athletes in the New York area that uh, was started by three black gentlemen in 1936. Uh, In 1942, they they, uh, opened it up to white athletes and, and became integrated. So you, you have you know, this, this club that was making civil rights history and uh, running history. The inclusive nature of our sport uh, really started with, uh, with the Pioneer Club. We used the term unprecedented so many times with everything that's going on today. And I, 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 I talked actually yesterday with New York Roadrunner's in terms of just, this is a, this is a time to make, make a statement that uh, in a sport that you know is primarily a white folks sport, origin started in the black community uh, in terms of the culture, inclusive culture, where all are welcome, all abilities are welcome. You know, there's something there in terms of just bringing our country racially together, certainly. History's fragile. Uh, I was fortunate to be around the sport. I saw the people that helped invent the sport. And these names would be easily forgotten, lost. So I have the ability to raise these names up and keep this history alive.
3: When we learn more about the contributions of the people that we never saw. We start to wonder if sport is a valuable place for social change. Is it possible that running can in fact be a catalyst for change? Can the miles that we're putting in right now help us to shape a better future if we keep uncovering
4: those stories? Thanks everyone for listening. As a reminder, there's still time to register for the 1 Million Miles for Justice event between now and July 15th, 2020. You can join wherever you are and it's an excellent way to support the cause for racial justice and work on your own fitness goals at the same time. The cost to sign up is $25 and the net profits go to support the NAACP. Thanks again and we hope you'll join us.
3: And finally, before you go, we encourage you to visit tedporbit.com Check out the National Civil Rights Museum online. They're reopening with social distancing measurements in place this week. And be sure to look up the Black Marathoners Association to learn more and get involved in their programming. To make it easy, you can visit fleetfeet.com blog for a full transcript of this episode, as well as a link to the websites we listed next week. Thank you all and have a great weekend.